we're at the, the last, the, the very end of the book of Ephesians. And uh, right at the very beginning, when we said that we were going to do a uh, series on Ephesians, uh, I had a message from Yarelise who uh, said, whoever's doing uh, the armour of God, the passage right at the end, um, I want you to know these things. And she's been texting me and emailing me a number of different things that God has been speaking to her throughout the last uh, little while. So it's been a, a massive encouragement to me. So I'm going to invite Yarelise to come and read the verses for us in just a moment. But I'm cautious to do that because the claps have been so poor this morning, haven't they? <laughs> so uh, like, I really want to encourage Yarelise as she comes forward to read. So maybe we can just welcome Yarelise. Yes, finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. So important. I'm sorry, I'm taking that, but it's so important, the armor of God. Then you move you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the devil. For we not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Again, he said that. Please, listen. <laughs> that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. In having done all, to stand firm. In this period of time, we need to stand firm. Family, listen. <laughs> stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, and all in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with with can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. So important, the sword of the Spirit that he have to be in our hearts, which, which you can extinguish. No, oh, sorry, I get lost. <laughs> and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayers and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for all of us, this for me, Paul, that words may be given to, to me in the opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador 
in chains, that I might be declared in boldly as I owe to speaks. Amen. Thank you, Yarelise. Wonderful. Right, so we are at the end of this series. And Paul says, finally. He says, finally, because it's the end. Uh, so finally, I'm coming to finish. But also, finally, this is something really important that you need to know. And uh, if you've been with us for a little bit of time throughout this series, you know that there's a number of important things that we've come across as part of this series. There's a number of, of large challenges, of encouragement uh, that, that we've been encountering during the book of Ephesians. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you maybe um, and tell them very quickly one of the things that you've been most challenged about, encouraged by, or struck by afresh as we've looked at Ephesians. I see you're very quickly recapping Ephesians, lovely. So, a number of big things. The fact that we've been saved, the fact that we are a new creation in Christ, the fact that that life uh, has, has massive repercussions and there's some specific things that Paul talks into about the way that that looks and there's some less specific things that Paul talks about about the way that looks. Uh, he talks about some massive things like unity in the church, diversity in the church, wonderful, wonderful subjects. And then he gets to this point, he says, finally, I need you to know this. Finally, I, I want this to be the last thing that you hear as this letter's read, that you need to uh, really cling on to this and Yarelis let it so well for us. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul's kind of lasting impression that he wants to leave with the Ephesian church is that he wants them to be strong. But not just strong themselves, not kind of conjuring up their own kind of strength, but to be strong in the Lord. And we're going to look at some things throughout this uh, passage that, that weaken us, that, that the Bible talks about is, is kind of working against us. Uh, but it's important that we know what we're aiming for, that's to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's not strengthen yourselves. It's not go find strength. It's been made strong in him. That's an important difference, isn't it? It's been made strong in him, not, not try and you know, go and, go and bodybuild to, to be stronger. Don't do this to, 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 to earn that. It's about being strong in him, finding your strength in him and the strength of his might. This is a theme that we've encountered throughout Ephesians. Ephesians 1, where, where there's a prayer for the Ephesians. Paul says that they might know the strength of God that raised Christ from the dead. Do you remember that? What wonderful verses, that the power of God at work, that you might know his strength in your life, the same strength that raised Jesus from the dead. And then in Ephesians 3, another prayer, verse 14 onwards, it says that the strength of God that holds Christ's love in your heart, that, that you might know that kind of strength, a strength that holds his strength in our heart. Paul, Paul is, is talking about this consistently throughout uh, this letter, and then he gets to this final point where he says, Look, I want you just to know his strength. Be strong in him and in his might. And there'll be a number of different things that we're kind of thinking about. Maybe this morning, uh, you might think, well, actually, I've got a number of challenges in life at the moment. There's a number of things that would maybe undercut some of that. They're, maybe you don't consider yourself to feel very strong. But Paul's encouragement to us this morning is that we can find our strength in him and in his might. We do that by putting on the whole armour of God. We are strengthened in the, 
in the way that's kind of likened to that of a well-equipped Roman soldier. And we're going to look a little bit about how, uh, how that uh, transpires, the need to be dressed appropriately uh, for this life, what we need to, to, to do in that. But first of all, I want to just uh, spend a bit of time talking about what we need to stand firm against. Uh, these verses are quite clear on that as well. And I think it just needs a bit of unpicking for us as, uh, as to what that looks like. Yeah, Elise read for us that we need to stand against the schemes of the enemy. The schemes of an enemy. Firstly, I'd say the word stand feels quite uh, peculiar, I think. It's not, it's not a particularly active word. It's not about moving forward. Paul doesn't say, I want you to smash through the plans of the enemy. I want you to be moving forward constantly. No, he says, I want you to stand. That we're, that we're to be able to stand strong in the Lord. Static but it is standing. Not necessarily about taking ground, but it's referring to a position that's already been obtained and that we're to stand firm in that. There's a description of a battle, but it's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual one. And Paul lists uh, and points towards a number of uh, things that we, we would struggle against, but they're not physical things. They're spiritual things. And I wonder whether maybe that's a difficult concept for us to, to look at. You know, I think many of us, we, this is not the kind of way in which we would approach uh, certain things. We wouldn't necessarily uh, go straight towards spiritual realities, good and evil, those kind of things. Maybe it feels a bit fantastical. That's a real word, isn't it? Fantastical, yeah. That's a big word for a Sunday morning, yeah. So it's that kind of thing where, you know, it's, it's not necessarily easy for us to... to to unpick. But I think a familiar theme that's demonstrated, uh, probably mostly in this, um, in this time of year, is that we see in John, John 1, uh, this whole thing of darkness and light. The Christmas message, Jesus coming into the world. John says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness. Now, Jesus didn't come in as a light, uh, as a physical light, but his birth is like a light coming into the world and overcoming, breaking down the darkness. The darkness could not overcome that light. It's a spiritual reality of a physical event. A physical birth with spiritual repercussions. And this is the language throughout the Bible, isn't it? Ephesians 5, verse 8, um, Paul says again, you were formerly darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. You were formerly in darkness, you're now light because you're found in Christ. Colossians 1 verse 13 said, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. This is the kind of language, this kind of spiritual reality that is throughout Scripture that we've got to be aware of that says, you know, this, this, this idea of darkness, evil, however you want to interpret it, but, but you were there, you're no longer there because of what he's done. And so there is a spiritual reality throughout this letter particularly, and throughout the, 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 the Bible itself, where Paul references this passage and wants, to, wants us to be conscious of this. I don't know how conscious you feel of a spiritual reality in which you live in, a spiritual battle that you might live in. Like a darkness, there's an enemy that is seeking to distract us from the new life that we have in him, from all the goodness that he has called us to from living lives that are full of fruit that he has called us to, wants to take away from that, wants to snatch away from that. This is for Christians I'm speaking to, those who have put their 
trust and hope in Jesus, those who have, have turned away from the darkness, that's what it talks about, turn towards him who's light. The battle is a real one. It's, uh, it's not an abstract thing. There are periods of challenge. And I'm sure if we were to go around the room, which we're not going to do, but I'm sure now you're, you're probably thinking, oh, actually, I, I recognise moments in my life where I felt challenged, where I've maybe felt doubts, where I felt uh, unable to stand in some things, where I felt I'm not worthy in some things. These are, are lies of the enemy, where I felt maybe struggling with specific temptation or, or struggling to know joy or peace in my life. These are, these are moments in which we, we know the battle is real. The physical experience sometimes of a spiritual reality. One of the questions that I think these verses pose is what does that mean for some of the songs that we've been singing? The victory of Christ, the that, uh, that he has won a victory over sin and death, that that is a complete victory, that that is something that has been won for us that we can attain now. This is absolutely true. All of these things are true. And yet we live in this place of balance where we're not fighting to achieve something that has already not been won. Jesus has won that for us. We read that in Ephesians 1. We're, we're sealed. We're sealed in Christ. But the Bible holds this tension that Christ's victory over sin and death is authority over all things, and yet there is still now an enemy who is seeking to undercut us, who is seeking to, to damage that, who still has the ability to distort and distract away from the things of God. There is still a darkness that is still at play. It doesn't have dominion. It doesn't have the victory over us, but it does still try and trip and until Jesus comes back, we read, until he comes back and, and takes all things to himself fully, this will still be the reality that we are in a battle. Let me take some water. <coughs> so the battle is not, or the enemy is not flesh and blood. That's an important thing to know. Sin, Satan, flesh and the world are acting through uh, different things, but it's not people. People are not our enemy. I think it's quite remarkable looking at Paul's experience himself. He's talking about uh, these things when he's in prison. He, he doesn't name the prison guard that he's maybe chained to or anything like that. So that this person's my enemy. He's experienced a number of different uh, situations or, or people that maybe <coughs> sought to um, cause him issue. They're not his enemy. He says, no, it's this darkness. There's a spiritual battle. Ultimately, um, it's, it's this that's trying to knock us off course. Not these individuals, but there is an enemy that's at work. And I think, friends, we, we just want to be aware of these things. I, I've made a few uh, notes as what I, I think that enemy looks like uh, in different ways. I've used a couple of these words already, but let me just repeat them. So deception, destruction and distortion to undermine the truth that God has in our lives. Do, do you recognise that? You, you recognise that kind of thing? God, God has, has, has given us his truth and yet so often we can find that it's, it's easily distorted or sought to be uh, deceptive. It's, he's one who steals our peace, our joy, our hope, tries to destroy the fruit that God has given us in our life. Do you recognise that? Where well, we feel unsettled in those things. He's slanderous towards God. He makes false accusations of God, and we saw this first in the garden, uh, right at creation. He said, did God, did God really say those things? Is that really 
what God wanted for you? Are you sure that he really cares for you like that and wants that for you? No, no, he's slanderous of him. We should also know Peter talks about the fact that the, the devil has schemes. This isn't just like random attacks, like drops in every now and again. He has schemes, he, says he, he waits in the thicket, ready to pounce. He wants us to doubt God, to fall back into our old ways when the pressure comes, to revert back to our old way of thinking, our ability to save ourselves maybe, which is wrong. And, and he wants to highlight throughout this letter that, that, that there is a number of things number of things about the way in which we live life, the way in which we do the Christian life. Throughout Ephesians, we've seen that repeatedly. Some specific things and some non-specific things about unity in the church. And he says, all of those things have got targets above their head. All of them. Because we have an enemy. It's a huge theme. But how do we approach this? Friends, I'd suggest that we, we need to be aware of this. We don't want to become underprepared we don't want to lower our armour and become those who kind of downplay this type of thing. Downplay spiritual battles, writing off situations as circumstantial or, or, or maybe normal life, you know. These things that happen to Paul, where they're just, you know, it could have happened to anyone. That's the kind of thing, isn't it, where we do that. We can kind of write it off. It's easily explainable. We want to be conscious of it, but not overly obsessed with it. There's clear instructions about the way in which we act towards this. People talk about spiritual warfare. We want to be aware, but not obsessed. Because ultimately, God has given us a very clear way in which we act towards it. It might be easy sometimes to over-spiritualise, become obsessed with the fact that we're in this battle and, and maybe delve into some uh, things and, and, and have a response which is maybe over the top in terms of what God has called us to. Uh, and in these verses, we see a very clear response as the way that we should approach this, the way in which we should live in response. How do we counter Satan's plans? Well, the reality is that the Bible has a very clear instruction for us. I think sometimes, though, we can go one way or the other where we say, oh, no, I don't believe in this enough at all, and I'm going to try and write this off and, uh, and leave ourselves open and underprepared. Or we can go over the top and think, well, I need to do this, this, and this because this is happening to me. Whereas actually God has given us a way of, of living a fully equipped life in light of this. It's not about a balance. It's about knowing that this is very serious, but we want to deal with it in an appropriate way. We want to deal with it as those who are armed fully <coughs> by the provision that Christ has won for us and the way in which he's instructed us to live by taking up the whole armour of God. So this image is wonderful, I think, if you've ever seen pictures of a, a Roman soldier, well-equipped Roman soldier, I think this is what Paul is referring to uh, in, uh, in this image. And, and he, he uses some, some things. I don't think necessarily that the, that the items of clothing themselves or their positions on the body necessarily matter too much. You see breastplate referred to elsewhere in the Bible and those kind of things. But these things are important for us to wear. And I'll just go through them very quickly. The whole armour of God says this, the belt of truth. Be fastened, be secure in truth. What a wonderful image. You know, a belt, as it's strapped around you, it keeps you tucked in truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the truth. It's not like it's closely linked with me. I am the truth. It's intrinsically linked to who Jesus is and we are found in him. 
We've seen already that the, that the enemy would seek to, to, to have that under attack. Truth is under attack, isn't it? Where, where you say, well, actually, these are truths of God, so easily distorted, but, but we should be secured, fastened, belted with truth. Ephesians 4, uh, it talks, Paul talks about the church, building up the church. He says uh, that, that one of the ways in which that protection comes is encourage one another, build one another up lovingly, Speak truth to one another. Lovingly speak truth to one another. You know, point one another back to truth. Do that in a loving way. Not, not an over-the-top harsh way, but do that, do that in a loving way. But point one another to truth. Be secure in truth. There'll be occasions where it's so easily that where we can be distracted by the lies of the enemy, but we need to rely on the fact that, that God's word is true. Be secure in that truth, the belt of truth. Secondly, he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate of righteousness. There's a couple of ways in which we could take this. I think commentators would take this two different ways. And uh, I, I don't know, I think both are valid. First one is, is that this is about God's righteousness. God's righteousness. That we're made right before him. It's not by our achievement. It's about his victory on the cross that we wear, that we're secure in his righteousness. No condemnation, no accusation can be brought because we are secure in him. We don't need to, to stand in defence of ourselves, we, we stand in his righteousness. That's the breastplate of righteousness. I think there's a second way though of interpreting this and that is about having our righteous position and it's about living a righteous life. So living in light of what God has called us to, living in light of, of the way in which we are called to live because we've now turned from, from darkness to light. And it does make it clear, I think, that there are chinks in the armour when we, when we, when we uh, uh, don't do that, when we make choices that, that don't reflect that righteous life that we're called to. It talks about, in, um, again, in Ephesians 4, it talks about the fact that if we're, we're living in this new life, uh, if, if, we, if we don't, if we respond to, to sin and temptation, it's like giving Satan a foothold. That's what the NIV says. It's like giving a foothold, like, like something to grab onto that he can then delve deeper. The breastplate of righteousness is about living a righteous life and also taking on his righteousness. Wonderful, wonderful truth that we can be secure in, that we can know uh, his, uh, his wonderful grace in. When we look at the shoes of peace, well, no, it's not shoes of peace, but I, I love this one. I think there's something really uh, quite wonderful about this image. The sandals of a Roman soldier were uh, effective for taking ground. And I just think there's something about the readiness that Paul talks about in, these, uh, in this example. I think it's probably my favourite image of all. Be ready to, to speak of the hope that you have. That's what Peter says. Be ready. Be ready to give an account for the hope that you have in Christ. Now that, that's like a, a place of readiness, isn't it? You know, like you're like on your toes, you're nimble, you're ready to go. And I, I, think, I think there's something wonderful about the encouragement from these verses to, to bring and to seek after the gospel of peace. Don't get bogged down in conversations and situations that are no good, that are going to bring destruction. Be, be ready to act. Be nimble, be on your toes, be, be ready to bring peace. When you're at work, when, you, when, when you're at home, you know, whatever the situation, be, be ready. Be, be bouncing up and down, ready to go for peace. You're not wearing big work boots and bogged down. You're, you're wearing sandals. 
to bring the gospel of peace. You know, look out for that. That's a, that's a completely different way of living, isn't it? If you're looking out for peace, look, where can I bring peace here? Where can I bring the gospel of peace? I think that has a, has a result for us as well because uh, Philippians 4 verse 7 talks about the peace of God guarding our heart. As we, as, we, as we consider peace, as we look to bring his peace, know his peace, our heart is guarded in that. I find myself quickly getting caught up into different things, riled up by different things. I think this one spoke to me the most about being ready to, to seek after peace, to seek after bringing a gospel of peace. Then we have the shield of faith. A shield blocks. A shield is large enough to hide behind. You can stand behind it. You can hide your life behind a shield of faith. It not only blocks, but this particular shield extinguishes. The Romans had this ingenious way in which they, they covered their shields with leather then they, they um, doused it in water for a little while. So when a, when a fiery arrow came, it didn't just stop the arrow, but it extinguished the flame. And Paul is saying, it's not, you know, you're not just walking around with these fiery arrows still stuck in your shield. No, it's completely gone. The power of this attack has been extinguished. That's the shield of faith. You're stood behind that shield of faith. You're trusting in God. You're trusting as, uh, as the enemy is at work, as, as arrows are flying around, you can be hidden in him. You can have faith that is secure in him, in, in his faithfulness towards you. You know, you don't need to doubt that. He's been, he has been faithful, we've seen. I can remind myself of what he's done. I can be encouraged that he is faithful. Then we have the helmet of salvation. Helmets are about identification, about being found in him, about being securing him, wearing his salvation, wearing that on the top of our heads, being fully assured that we're saved and found in him. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we wear that like a helmet. We wear it to say, I'm, I'm secure in him. I'm saved because I'm in him. That's the hat I'm wearing. And then Yaralise reminded us as well of the sword of the spirit. It's the only offensive weapon, if you like. Everything else seems defensive but a sword is offensive. Used by Jesus in the wilderness, we, we read, um, you can read the, the account where Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's, and he's tested, and his response is to, is, to, is to quote the word. The word of the spirit. He uses it like a sword to cut into things. So, no, no, that's not true. That's not true. We need to be ready uh, to use that. These are... I think the thing about a sword is that it's not meant to be a kind of randomly waved round kind of weapon. It's something that cuts precisely into things. It's something that you learn to use. I think um, I was reminded, uh, so I, for the last 16 years, have taken two days to be retrained in how to hit people with a stick. Um, I've never hit anyone with a stick. But I'm pretty sure if I gave that stick to Pearl she would know what to do to hit someone with a stick. But she wouldn't do it as well as I would do it. And the truth is, I think it's similar with, with like the sword of the spirit. Friends, I think, you know, we can all quote scripture. You can Google something and find a verse in scripture, but I think this is something bigger. 
I think this is about being trained to use the word of the Spirit. It's about using it in the right way. Even the enemy misquoted scripture, didn't he? The enemy said to Jesus when he was being tempted, misquoted scripture. Jesus said, no, 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 you're wrong. It's like this. You know, we can all use this. We can, we can flail this around as much as we like, but there's something about the sword of the Spirit that cuts precisely, that, that cuts right deep into the situation. And friends, we want to be those who use it like that, don't we? Who know this book, who are retrained regularly uh, to use it, that we might learn... Uh, we might learn to, 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 to cut against the advances of the enemy. So friends, Ephesians 6 is a finally moment. It's a finally moment. We've done all this ground. We've taken all this ground. We've, we've heard these wonderful truths. We've been encouraged in, in many, many things. Friends, Paul wants us to be strengthened in him. You know, I don't know whether you feel weak at the moment. I don't, I don't know what's going on in your life. But I, I want to encourage you this morning, as Paul has said these verses, to, to, to be strengthened, be built up in him. Arm yourself with his armour. It's his provision to us. It's his protection for us. It, it, it's, the, it's the way in which we can stand against the work of the enemy. There are... Um, it's the immense power against Satan, which is worked out in ordinary, day-to-day Christian living. Let me say that again. The armour of God is a profound, immense power against Satan, which is worked out in ordinary, day-to-day living. I think this is the most shocking thing of all, that we've looked at spiritual warfare, countering the work of the enemy, specific examples of, of how that might look. Now, I accept that I think elsewhere in the New Testament there are occasions where there is a different response, a specific response to the work of the enemy. But I would suggest that ultimately our position to, to counter the work of the enemy is about a godly living, about arming ourselves in the provision that he has called us to. It's about taking up these things that are readily available to us, clothing ourselves, being prepared for a battle. Friends, it's not like a battle, Christian life. It is a battle. So clothe ourselves. Clothe ourselves in him. Finally, I do feel, for me, the image of a soldier is one that is part of an army. And uh, I think that's the context in which Paul is speaking, certainly the context in which he's speaking throughout um, uh, this letter. Uh, Roman soldiers are known for their kind of cooperation together, their, their teamwork, their strength, as they're built together as a unit. I think it's consistent with that. Uh, not an isolated warrior, but a member of an army. Uh, friends, I want to encourage us that that's what we are. You know, when, um, when we do our training, we sometimes uh, do right training where we get stuff chucked at us and you, you don't realise necessarily you've, you've armed yourself, you've you armed yourself, you've armoured yourself. You've got all your kit on and then you realise, <laughs> and you realise that maybe like a zip's undone or, or like your visor is up and you need to know that. And it's generally your mate next to you who says, look, mate, you, you, you need to put your visor down. Or look, mate, you're going to burn because you, you, you've got a zip undone. Friends, that's what we're called to do, isn't it? Point one another back towards this armour. So friends, no, this is readily available to you. Take it up. Wear the breastplate of righteousness. You know, where's your belt of truth gone? You know, those kind of things, because we're called to, to look after one another, to look out for one another uh, like an army. This is a provision of Christ. As we finish off as well, uh, Paul uses, uh, I think you could call this the all prayers. 
all prayers, and it's kind of consistent with his landing about how, how do we kind of take this forward. And he says, I want you to pray on all occasions. All the time, pray. All occasions. You don't need a special occasion, just pray. All types of prayer. Silent prayers, loud prayers, quiet prayers, voiceless prayers. All kind of prayers. And pray for all the saints. Pray for your brothers and sisters around this room. And pray for me. That's what Paul says. Pray, pray for the saints and pray for me. We're in a battle. We're in a battle. We don't want to be aware of it. We don't want to be obsessed by it. Because he has given us provision to take ground in him, to be strong in him, to be known and found in the provision that he has, has for us. And friends, I want to land just there. Central to all of this is, is about praying. And uh, I want to encourage us to do that in just a moment as we take communion. Um, maybe the band want to want to come up uh, for us. We're going to take communion, which feels like an appropriate way to respond to these things. Uh, hopefully you've got uh, something to, to take that with, or if not, if you just wave and uh, that'll be brought round to you. With, um, with communion, we, we celebrate a meal that Jesus first shared with his disciples where he said, um, I'm going just before he... He goes to the cross, but I'm coming back. He's won a victory over sin and death. That, that is secure. We are found in that. He's coming back. And we celebrate that as we uh, take communion together. We remember his blood shed, his body broken. But friends, I want to uh, encourage us. Maybe we can stand up uh, if that's okay. We're going to do all prayers might be that you want to grab a couple of people around you and take communion together. Maybe you want to pray uh, yourself. But what I want to pray for is just a fresh sense of us being able to take up this provision that he has won for us. Take up afresh his righteousness. Take up afresh his, his truth. Know afresh his salvation, which he has won for us. And then when you're ready, you can take communion. You might want to do that with a couple of people around you. You might want to do that on your own, however you feel most comfortable but feel free when you're ready. Let me just pray first. Father, we thank you for your wonderful provision to us. We thank you that you have held nothing back, that we might know uh, you fully. Jesus, we, we recognise these things. We recognise what your word says, that we're in a battle, but we have one who is, uh, has a victory over sin and death, who has won something that we can clothe ourselves afresh in you, we can know your strength in our lives. We can know the hope that is found only in you, the power that is found in you, the joy and peace that is found only in you. Jesus, would, would we know that now? Father, where there's, where there's things swishing around in our minds, Father, would you help us to, to, to speak truth? Would you help us to, to speak your words by your spirit to those things? Would we cut them dead? We pray, Father, in your precious name. Amen.